The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Amen. So uh, we're going to wrap up this audience-driven sermon series that we've been in, Hot Topics, this morning. I know it seems a little odd. I had a pastor I was talking to this week. He said, uh, so what Christmas series are you in? I said, I'm, I'm not in one. We're still answering questions from October. That's what we're doing. Uh, but I'm excited uh, to get into this final topic and um, the topic this morning is a combination of kind of three sets of questions that I'm compiling uh, on the topic of prayer, uh, the spiritual gift of tongues, and then some various questions related to dealing with uh, family situations and kind of adverse family environments during the holidays. So I figured it's going to be very applicable for us, although maybe not themed properly, but I did wear this shirt for you guys, so you're welcome. <laughs> so if you have your Bibles, you open to Ephesians in chapter 5. I've got this little text we're going to launch from, and then we're going to answer some questions on prayer, the gift of tongues, and following Jesus in adverse family environments. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15, here's what it says. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. This is for all Christians and parents of children who own Legos. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. God, we thank you for your word that has been read in our hearing. God, we believe the testimony that your word is alive and active that it is sharper than any two-edged sword and can divide to soul and spirit, revealing the hearts of mankind. We thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Lord, as we consider our walk with you, how we should think about and practice prayer, God, as we evaluate and think about the spectrum of perspectives on the gift of tongues. And as we move into this holiday season where we're having many interactions with family and friends and neighbors and opportunities, Lord, to represent you and to live in a way that shines light into difficult relationships. God, we need your Holy Spirit. We need you to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God, we need to be filled with your spirit. And so we're coming to you, our good father, our heavenly father, eager to give good gifts. And we're asking not only for your help in the sermon this morning to hear from your word, to be adjusted and transformed, strengthened, fused with hope. God, we're, we're praying that you, you would give us more of yourself. Lord, that we would be able to represent you, that we would have power and strength to obey you. God, that we would, by the way we live our lives, reveal Jesus and draw people to salvation in his name. God, we need you even now as we sit and listen and consider. And so we pray that you would strengthen our faith, give us ears to hear. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 I wanted to share one of the questions 
um, specifically that talked about prayer. And here's what it says. Uh, Someone mentioned to me that when you offer your prayer request in a group of fellow believers, you have already prayed because where two or more are gathered in his name, God is there. However, I feel that by not praying, you haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to bring to mind other requests, gratitude, thankfulness, etc. I would like to know what the Bible says. Is simply speaking your request to three or more fellow believers, is that actually the same as praying? And so the quick answer is, nope. I'm not sure the context of this conversation or what was meant by the person who asked it or the person who communicated this, um, but this is just a kind of a classic misapplication of scripture. Now, the scripture that's being referenced in this question is Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20, which says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And as a universal truth, isn't that comforting? I don't know how many uh, church services I led where hardly anybody showed up. And you think, well, at least God's here because there's two or three of us, right? And so it's a comforting concept that God's present when believers gather in his name. But the context for this passage is not prayer. It is actually confrontation and conflict resolution. How exciting is that? And so it brings us to kind of the first rule of interpreting the Bible, and that is this. Uh, A text without a context is a pretext for your subtext. That's what it is. I say it this way. If you go into the Bible looking for something, you will probably find it. And so this is what we have to do when we read the Bible is we don't just take one verse and read it and then apply it broadly to every situation. We'll come to faulty conclusions. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20 says, if your brother sins against you, there's the context, go and tell him his fault, which people don't like to do. We just like to ignore people or move. (laughs) Go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So you've worked it out. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence or two or three witnesses. They can say, yeah, we know you. You are kind of a jerk. (laughs) If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the whole church. And if he he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. This is like saying, if everybody's appealing to this person and they refuse to listen to everybody who professes to care about them and everyone's saying the same thing, it's very likely that there is not spiritual life happening on the inside of this person. And so think differently about how you interact with them. Verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And so you're getting these pictures of the authority of the church. We have the ability to come together and to exercise in the will of God and for the good of people. And so this has heavenly ramifications and earthly ramifications. And so this is very sober and we ought to think very spiritually about it and be purposeful about it. And we should recognize the access to God's answered prayer we have when we come together. And we should be bold about asking God to intervene for his glory and the good of all people, knowing that he will answer us. And it's in this context, verse 20 says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, someone say, in my name, name. for the purposes of Jesus, to fulfill his heart and his will on the earth, there I am among them. Now that should encourage all of us that whenever we're engaged in the things that God wants to be a part of and we're partnering with other people, nothing can stand against us. Not our interpersonal conflicts, not the works of the enemy, not our own uh, lack or the things that we need because we have access to God. And so this is a beautiful segue into what prayer truly is. What is prayer? What constitutes prayer? Now listen, prayer is simply this. It is simply communication with God because of a relationship with God. That's it. It's very, very simple. When you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, he has now become your father and he wants to hear from you. 
So prayer, sometimes we over-spiritualize, we turn it into a discipline, a thing we ought to do, a thing we all wanna do more, a thing we don't think we do well, a thing we don't wanna do in front of other people. But prayer is just you and God having a relationship. It reminds me of a story I heard about a pastor. He had someone whisper in his ear, hey, the Joneses are celebrating their 50th anniversary and Mr. Jones is in the front row and you should honor them in, in the service. And so he gets up to preach and there's Mr. Jones and he says, Mr. Jones, congratulations on 50 years of marital bliss. He's like, do you wanna tell us how you did it? And Mr. Jones stands up and turns around, small country Baptist church. He says, well, the first 25 years were pretty rough. And he said, well, what made him better? He said, for our 25th anniversary, I took my wife to New Zealand. What are you doing for your 50th? The pastor said, I'm going back to get her. <laughs> my wife hates that joke. She's had to hear it like seven or eight times now in 20 years. So she'll be here for the second service. I may skip it. It's very possible. That was just for you guys. So you don't have a relationship if you don't talk. Do you see this? And so God's inviting you into a real-time relationship. He never sleeps or slumbers. He's always up. He's everywhere, equally present. And he wants to hear from you. Not only that, he wants to engage with you by his spirit in you to not only desire his will, but also to carry it out. And so he's involving us in a very dynamic relationship. And prayer is at the center of that relationship. And Jesus was very big about this. He actually addressed the topic of prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. And he was contrasting how we ought to pray because of who our God is with how the Pharisees prayed and how the Gentiles prayed. And in Matthew chapter six, which is your go-to section of scripture for prayer in verses five to 15, Jesus said, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. You have anybody, any friends, they start praying and suddenly their English turns King James. You're like, who are you doing this for in the first place? You know what I'm saying? All the thous and thys. He says, don't be like that. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. You know where their answer prayer is? The attention that it got them. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. See how intimate this relationship is? This is not about what other people think or how good it sounds. This is about you and your relationship with your father, the things that he wants to hear from you and the things that he wants to answer for you. Verse seven, Jesus conversely says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Sometimes people ask me all the time, I don't pray well. I hear all these people praying all these things and they know all these scriptures and all these names of God and they say all this stuff and I just, don't pray. I just don't pray good. And I'm like, no, no, no. None of those things matter at all. Just you speaking your heart to God. That is what matters. And this is what Jesus is saying. Don't be like them. Here's why. Your father knows what you need before you ask. He's not waiting on you to get it right. But he wants to spend time with you. He wants to hear from you. Whatever comes out. And, and, and earthly parents are like this too. We have our little babies sitting on our lap. And, and uh, we just want to hear, we don't hear him talk. I found some videos recently of, of Meredith and she's now just turned 11 and this is her like few months old and she's making this little ooh sound and we're on the video going, yeah, she said hi. She said, I know she didn't. <laughs> she didn't say hi. It's in your head. But we want to hear from our children, right? And this is the same heart that God has toward us. Another section of scripture uh, we don't have time for this morning, but go read John chapter 17. John records for us the high priestly prayer of Jesus on the night of his death. And it's beautiful to see the way that God 
is, is uh, interacting, God the Father with Jesus, the Son of God, in prayer as he prays about what's about to transpire and the people that he's giving his life for. It's really beautiful and it gives you an insight not only into how Jesus instructed that we should pray, but how Jesus himself prayed. And this is what changes everything. When Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have a father in heaven, he can say that because a son came to make a son and daughter out of everyone by faith. It's because of Jesus that we have the ability to pray to God and have our prayers both heard and answered. Consider the the powerful reality of Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? I bet Jesus fell asleep in church one time. I bet he knows what that feels like. I bet there were times when Jesus didn't know what to pray, but he engaged with his father anyway. He knows exactly what it's like to be human because he became human and he can sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near. Somebody say, draw near to the throne of grace. And I love that. Thrones, we're not used to thrones. We are Americans. We don't do monarchy. We don't do throne rooms. We are not intimidated by thrones. Our thrones are porcelain. (laughs) But for the rest of the world, the throne is a very intimidating place. To approach the throne has to be done so meticulously and carefully and is very nerve-wracking. But God's throne, because of Jesus, is a throne of grace. It's a throne of generosity. It's a throne of a disposition of kindness and acceptance. And the result of approaching this throne of grace is that we would receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that this is who God is to us because of Jesus? Another real classic passage that you should probably write down is Philippians chapter four and verses six to seven. I'm gonna pull this out of context and I'll put it back in a minute. Here's what it says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, that's asking for things, with thanksgiving, there's some perspective there that says everything came from God. I've got everything from him that I need. So I give him thanks. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the effect of really humble and true prayer prayed through faith in Jesus, is that God does a miraculous work, not only to answer our prayers, but to engage us with him and to give us, in the midst of our waiting for an answer to prayer, peace. And this is one of the direct results of the gift that prayer is to all of us and something that I want all of us to receive this Christmas season is God's gift of peace, of being able to come to him in difficult circumstances and say, here's my situation, help. And then in the midst of waiting for his answer to experience the gift of peace. Isn't that great news? Last passage on prayer, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 21. These are just imperatives at the end of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then he adds, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good. And I'm gonna use this passage to segue into our second question. What is the gift of tongues? Now, I'm gonna ask 
I'm gonna read this specific question. This is the one that I got from the Hot Topic series. Uh, what is tongues? And this is the angle of the person asking the question. I grew up being taught that tongues was only given by God in Acts so that people could communicate in different languages, but it was only for that time and not today. Now, many of us have been raised in a tradition where that was the disposition towards the gift of tongues, and that is the cessationist position. Now, like many Christian doctrines, there is a broad spectrum of position, understanding, interpretation, and practice. And on one side of that spectrum is the cessationist. On the other side is the continuationist, and the words there give some clue into what is being talked about, namely the gifts of the Spirit. All Christians read the Bible and see that God was doing some very special things in the first century in the book of Acts and in the the letters of the New Testament detail a lot of activity of the Holy Spirit that was miraculous, divine, signs and wonders, uh, strange gifts that were functioning in different ways. And everybody reading the Bible affirms that those were true things that God did. And then the question becomes, did those things, the activity of the Holy Spirit, the way we see them in the New Testament, cease, in which you become a cessationist, or do they continue, in which case you become a continuationist. Do you see the options here in front of you? Now, like any kind of doctrinal dilemma, there's always some extremes at the end of the spectrum. For instance, there are cessationists who would look to any activity that is remotely similar to what was seen in Acts or in 1 Corinthians, and they would say, because God brought that to an end, to engage in that is somehow trickery of the devil. And so if you're speaking in tongues, that's demonic, So that's on the far end of the extreme cessationist view. But conversely, on the continuationist view, there's some Pentecostals who would hold to the fact that if you haven't spoken in tongues, then you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so you are not spirit-filled until you speak in tongues, which creates this odd uh, dynamic where you have the spirit-filled and the unspirit-filled Christian, which is not a healthy thing and in nowhere reflective of the scriptures. And even some Pentecostals would go so far to say, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not even saved. It's a sign of your actual salvation. Now, can both of these two people be right? No. You may tell you who is right. Me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I am a continuationist because I affirm the clarity and the perspicuity of the scriptures. And there is no indication in the scriptures that these gifts of God were going to come to an end. There's some stretch from first Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 10, which a lot of A lot of well-meaning cessationists put a lot of leverage on that little verse that talks about when the perfect comes, these things will pass away. But that's, again, the very same type of uh, pulling something out of context to make it mean the thing you're looking for it to mean when it doesn't actually mean that. And most people who are working well with their Bibles and intellectually honest will say that that's not what it means. And so you end up arguing from a perspective of history. And you go, well, these things were active and then they stopped. Um, And I've heard lots of anecdotal evidence from cessationists saying all these things ended and they don't happen. And the things that do happen aren't the same things and they're evil. And then I hear anecdotal evidence from continuationists that say, this has been happening ever since the first church and it's never stopped. And these are the very exact same things. And uh, so it brings us back to the scripture and we ask the question, okay, well, how do we understand this? One of the reasons I like 1 Thessalonians chapter five and verse 20 says, do not despise prophecies. One of the miraculous things God was doing, he was speaking through people about events yet to come and realities unseen in our uh, physical realm. It says, don't despise those things, but we're in this new era where's this, opportunity for deception and misunderstanding. So on one hand and on the other. And so Paul says, test everything and hold fast to what is good. Now, the reality is, is that in my opinion, some cessationists have come to despise prophecy and tongues and healing and other, other miraculous gifts 
because others haven't tested everything and have affirmed some things that are really wrong. And some other people refusing to test things are rejecting what's actually more precious to God than prophecy, and that's people. So we've got to be somewhere in the middle, and we've got to work hard to both receive the good things that God wants to give us and also have a disposition, not of cynicism, but certainly of skepticism. If there's supposed to be some judging or some testing going on, we ought to be willing to engage in that. And so that requires humility and relationship and partnership, does it not? All things that we hate doing. And so what are we supposed to make of it? Well, I do wanna point out a couple of things about tongues. Um, I don't know what your background is. Some of you came from a, a background where there was no tongue speaking going on. Others of you came from a background where everybody was pushed to speak in tongues until they did. I don't know if you're, if you're ever in an environment where you were made to speak in tongues, where they're like, you're gonna, we're gonna pray for you until the tongues come on you, you know? And uh, if that ever happens to you, here's the trick, okay? It's just a little sentence, you just have to say it. I should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Kia. Just say that really fast. I should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Kia. And then they'll let you go. And then you just get out of there and never go back, all right? That's what you do. Just remember, I should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Kia. I don't know how that works, but it does every single time. And then you're free to go. Listen, that was, that was a low blow. I know, that was really hard. Some of you are looking at the door. That's all right. In the Bible, there are two instances that we could refer to, Acts chapter two, and then there's some subsequent chapters where the same thing happened that happened in Acts chapter two, and also 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. Both of these sections of scripture um, highlight for us the gift of tongues and two different kinds of, of, uh, of ki kinds of tongues, and they could be the same, similar, or totally distinct, and it's not, we're not able to see that because uh, the word used to describe them is, this, is the same. In Acts chapter two, we have the coming of the Holy Spirit, and I'll read it for you. It's verses one to 11. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, this is the day that Jesus was telling everybody to wait. Don't go out, wait, you're gonna receive power. Wait for it, wait for it. It happened on a purposeful day at the Feast of Harvest. This is about mission. This is about fulfilling the work of God. This is about fulfilling the purpose of God, continuing the kingdom of heaven that Jesus brought in and now continues through his disciples. This is big, big once in, in history kind of stuff. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven, so this is from God, a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all, same passage from Ephesians, or same verse, words from Ephesians 5, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance or other languages. It's the, same, it's the same word, tongues, languages. Verse five, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, Galileans not only were limited to Aramaic and some formal Hebrew, but they also had an accent that was very recognizable. You remember when Peter denied Christ and the girl was like, no, you're with Peter. And he was like, I don't even know him. And she was like, your accent gives you away. You remember this? And so to hear someone who's a Galilean, I'm not saying they're from Alabama, I'm just saying they had an accent. I'm just helping you connect with the reality. They had an accent, 
But now they're speaking in languages foreign to them and the people who are present who are from these areas and speak these languages are hearing something from people they never would have expected. You know, in the world they say, if you can speak three languages, you're trilingual. If you can speak two languages, you are bilingual. If you can speak one language, you are American, right? (laughs) Imagine all these Americans and they're just suddenly trilingual, all these languages. Now, this is amazing, but this is also God revealing his movement in space-time to bring salvation, and he's reversing the curse of Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. No longer is the judgment of God coming to separate people, but now the Spirit of God is coming to bring them back together in Christ. And so this is really big, important stuff in the big picture of the Bible. And it's practical as well, too. Verse seven, and they were amazed and astonished. Oh wait, got to that, verse nine. Here's the, here's the list of people. Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and all parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. So we have a variety of different languages, Cretans and Arabians, and they all say, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And so this is a miracle, but it also grabs everybody's attention and brings them in and positions them to receive a message of repentance and faith in Jesus for salvation and the kingdom of God being fulfilled. Um, this is what Peter preaches on what comes next. Now, Here's the reality. By the time you get to 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, this spiritual gift of tongues is being exercised entirely differently than this. It's not evangelistic. People aren't hearing it and understanding it. People who have received this gift are speaking in a language they don't know, and people who are around them don't know it either. So it's foreign to both the speaker and the hearer. However, for the person who is speaking in tongues, it is extremely upbuilding and encouraging and a blessing to the speaker. And so the problem that Paul's addressing in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is that the Corinthians were making an error. They were assuming that because they were speaking in tongues, that they had some special blessing from God. And because it was a blessing to them personally, they all were kind of like in an ecstatic way, all speaking in tongues, all at the same time. And it was totally chaos. And if a foreigner or someone who didn't know God came into this environment, do you think that they're going to be blessed by hearing everybody speaking in tongues all at the same time? No. And so Paul is trying to take apart this spiritual dilemma. One, thinking that you are somehow superior to other people because you have this gift. And then two, that operating this gift is the most beneficial thing when in fact it's not. And so this is what 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are all about. However, Paul doesn't say this gift is bad. He, does, he says it's good. He says not, it's, not, it's not saying that no one should do it. He's saying he wishes everybody should do it. And so he's really affirming this good gift from God. And unfortunately, because of all the abuse that's occurred around this gift and others and in kind of like extreme sides of, of this uh, dilemma, a lot of us have uh, a lot of cynicism towards good gifts from God. Can you imagine on Christmas morning, you've got all this presents out for your children and you've meticulously wrapped them all and they come down the stairs and instead of approaching them with joy and excitement and looking for their name tag, they're kind of like easing up on them. Like every one of them is a jack-in-the-box. But some of us feel that way about God's gifts, particularly gifts like tongues or prophecy or words of knowledge or healing. And we think there's something to be afraid of or scared of. And there's plenty of people out there who will tell you that they are. And the reality is that God only gives good gifts to his children. And he starts those gifts with the gift of himself, the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? Listen, God's not trying to spook anybody out. And listen, people are weird, but God isn't. So you found some weird people. Shocker. (laughs) Go anywhere, you'll find weird people. But God's not weird. 
Um, Jesus said in John 14, 15, 18, on the night of his death, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Another one, just like me, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. Jesus says, you've been in proximity to me. You have put your trust in me. The Holy Spirit has been around you, but a new thing is going to happen after the death of Jesus, because we in his name are cleansed and we become temples of the Holy Spirit. And so we can receive God's gift of himself. He says, you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. He says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And aren't you guys so glad that we all get to receive the gift of the spirit of Jesus on the inside of us. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. He is the one who comforts us, who gives us love and joy and peace. And he wants to operate in our relationships in real time, both to spread the good news about Jesus to all people and to build up the body of Christ. And that is what the gifts of the spirit are for. And if they're not used that way, they're not bad, but they may be used wrongly. Can I get an amen? So we got to test things. We got to receive God's good gifts. But we have to test things and see how they ought <clears throat> to be used. <clears throat> Back to our main text, Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. The command there in verse 18, contrasted with drunk, drunkenness, is the command to be filled with the spirit. I heard a story about an Anglican uh, priest who was being interviewed to, for a parish. And one of the people on the interview committee said, <clears throat> are you spirit filled? You know what his response was? He said, yes, but I leak. <laughs> and I thought that was so good. That's so helpful. Because the reality is, is if you put your faith in Jesus, you've received the spirit of God. You know that? In my view, and I feel like is the biblical view, the phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a descriptor of a secondary experience with God by which you experience gifts, sometimes and frequently the gift of tongues. No, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the miracle that Jesus does. John forecast it. He said, I baptize with water, but one who is coming is greater than me and he will baptize with fire and with the Holy Spirit. And when you put your trust in Jesus, you become cleansed and filled. But just because you've had God's love poured into your heart, Romans 5, 5, does not mean you've received everything of God. Do you realize that? This is why Paul in Ephesians chapter three prays that we would have strength in our inner being to, to be able to stand up under the weight of having experienced and knowing the love of Christ. God wants to give you way more than you got that first time you got something. And every time we come to God's presence, we should be coming with a desire to be filled. You know it. And so see yourself as yes, having the spirit, but there's always room for more. And you may be filled with the spirit if you're a Jesus follower, but guess what? You leak too. And so we ought always to be coming to God. And there's gonna be new seasons, new needs, new missions, new mission fields, and you're gonna need new tools, new gifts. And so gladly receive everything God wants to give you and ask him for it. Some of us just stop asking. Maybe we're scared. You have nothing to be scared of. God will give you everything he wants and nothing that you don't need or won't be a blessing to you. Now, I think tongues is very powerful. I think everybody who's on the mission field, on the leading edge of the kingdom of God, ought to pray for the gift of tongues. And I think oftentimes the gift of tongues is used as a way to get news to people who would not otherwise hear it because of a language barrier. I love this. Uh, there's, a, there's a product that uh, teaches people different languages and they have this commercial. I love it. It shows um, this guy putting on this kind of like radio radar gear. And um, then you hear coming across a speaker these British sailors, mayday, mayday, we're sinking, we're sinking. And this guy gets on the mic and he goes, hello, this is the German Coast Guard. And this, the sailors go, we're sinking, we're sinking. And he goes, 
Okay, what are you thinking about? <laughs> See, even there you understand how language matters, right? And I just love the fact that God's given this unique and powerful gift that goes over one of our biggest human obstacles, language. But there's something about this gift or a variety of it that is just deeply upbuilding for the believer. And so if you came from a charismatic or Pentecostal background and you received the gift of tongues, you know how uh, beneficial it can be to a person, how it can connect you to the presence and power of God in a way that nothing else can. And so it's a good thing for everybody to receive. Now, not everybody does. Paul says, do all receive? Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all have interpretation of tongues? No. But we should still value each other for the ways that we're different and how we're supposed to be working together. Do you understand? Now, um, the, the outcome of this is that all the gifts of the Spirit are manifestations of the Spirit for the common good, so we should use them simply for that. That's the constraining factor. And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, listen, you guys are all speaking in tongues. Stop, just stop. Don't, don't even pray in tongues out loud unless someone is present to interpret it into the language everybody can understand. And if you do that, one, two, maybe three at the most, and then stop. And if there is no interpretation, have self-control and keep it to yourself. Do you see how restrictive that is? Why? Because he's saying the gift, the way you're using it, is not good for everybody. And so only use the gifts you have for the good of everyone. This is actually the context in which 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is given to us. It is not the wedding verse like you think that it is. No, it's about the use of spiritual gifts. Love is patient. Love is kind. And it goes on and on and on to talk about the goal is love. You can have every good thing in the world, but if you have love, you are nothing, Paul says. And so this is what it's about. Now, listen, you may be here and have come from a cessationist background. You may disagree completely with what I'm saying. Consider for yourself, though, if God has something good, and he wants you to have it, why should there be any reluctance to you? Now, some of us, we have an aversion to strange new things. Do you know that? All humans do. There's always those first adopters the first people to go get a smartphone, the first people to go, you remember, you remember paying for fast food for the first time with your debit card? Do you remember that? This happened like in my lifetime. Like I was in college when McDonald's started taking debit cards instead of cash. You remember how weird that felt? And all the people older than me were like, you'll never get my number, never, never. And so there's always people that are like resistant to things that are new. But this has been true in all human history. There was a whole generation of people that wouldn't install indoor plumbing and electric in their houses. I'm not bringing that voodoo into my house. I like candles. But here we all are, right? How many people were averse to air travel when it first came out? Or microwaves? Remember microwaves? You got to put your food in there, you press the button and run around the corner so you don't get radiated, right? Well, what was going on? We're afraid of things we don't understand. I remember thinking the first time someone sent me a text message on my little flip phone, I was like, this is not going to catch on, this whole text thing. Now I don't even like to talk to people anymore. I'm like, just send me a text. You know, what's going on? See, we acclimate to things, but when they're new, they're difficult. And so I just want to, I want to admonish you to approach God in the way that you can find him in prayer as your loving father. If he has a good thing to give to you, then be ready to receive it. Trust him if you don't trust me. Now, let me close with this. More important than the gifts of the spirit, the scriptures point us to, are the fruit of the Spirit. Because in your relationship with God, you ought to be growing more and more and more like Jesus. There are many lists of gifts that God has given to Christians and to the Christian church for the purpose of the kingdom of heaven. But Galatians 5, to 26 details for us what God wants to grow in and through you as you partner 
with God in your walk, as you keep in step with the spirit, as you discern the will of God, as you put away things like drunkenness and pick up things like being filled with the spirit daily because you leak, he says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There's no rules prohibiting any of these things. These are all good, universally accepted and appreciated by all people. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Here's the reality. And this is what I wanna leave you with as we go into our holiday plans and as we consider the various ways that we are going to have uh, difficult interactions or back into our adverse family environments. I want you to catch this for a minute. This passage and many, many, many like it reveal the fact that you were made by love. God is love, you know that? You were brought about to be known and valued and cherished and explored and to journey. You were made by love for love. You were made to feel love, to be cared for, kept, fathered, led. You were made to be in relationships, to be strengthened and encouraged. You were made by love for love to walk in love. And listen, every one of your difficult family situations, that's what's required. And we don't expect love to come out of places where the spirit of God is not bearing fruit. Do you realize that? But do you know where God and how God is bringing love into those environments and to those people? It's through us. It's through us walking in step with the spirit. Now listen, you may not feel very loving. You may be thinking about Uncle Harry and going, I don't think I can do this. He's gonna start talking about Trump and I'm just gonna lose it, you know? I don't know, I don't know what your thing is. It could be bagels. I'm in this bagels, I can't handle it. I don't know. And you're like, right here, but here's, here's the reality. You don't have the love in you. Remember you leak? Go back to part number one, prayer. God, I wanna be used by you to set an example for and to show your love to Uncle Harry or to my spouse or to my children or to this neighbor or I need your help with this conflict on the inside of me, but does it drive you to your heavenly father who knows what you need? And do you expect to receive from him everything that he wants to give to you? And then if you have some hangups, some reservations about what God can and can't do, let's just leave those here, can we? God can do whatever he wants. But what he wants is for the good of all people. I mentioned that I was gonna take Philippians chapter four and verse six out of, out of context for a minute about not being anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. You know what the context for that is? A conflict. The Apostle Paul is addressing two women in the church who are fighting. Isn't that great? And he calls them by name in the Bible. How would you like to have your name in the Bible? Because you can't get along with somebody. Verse two says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Remember, we're all in this together. Whose names are in the book of life. There's some perspective for you. Yeah, but she always so nasty to me. I just don't want to even see her. Rejoice in the Lord always. And so we go back to all the things we have to be grateful for. 
Listen, your problems, your relational conflicts, your difficult family situations, they are nothing compared to what God has conquered through Jesus Christ and has delivered to all people. Good news of great joy for all people. And so you wanna have power to overcome and to get through difficult situations? Let's start by saying, God, thank you for who you are and for what you've done and the miracle that you've brought in me. I'm gonna rejoice and I'm gonna be reasonable. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Why? The Lord is at hand. Where two or three are gathered, remember, there he is. And don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Look at every situation and look for the good. Look for where God's at work. Cherish it, value it, learn to see it, and it will diminish the difficulty in your eyes and position you to receive the power of God to do what he wants you to do and have people whose example you can follow. Verse nine, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, maybe you're here and you don't know the God of peace. Maybe your perspective on what God is like is not peace, is not generous, it's not kind. Maybe you feel constantly distanced from God or in some way punished by God or afraid of God. This is not the God of the Bible revealed through Jesus Christ. And so my Christmas gift to you is guess what? God's a whole lot better than you thought he was. And he wants you for himself. And he doesn't even need you to have all your questions answered. He doesn't need to have all your stuff sorted out. All he wants you is to go all in with him exactly where you start today. And if you are willing to start a walk with God that way, if you are willing to say, you are God and I am not, and I've got all these issues, but I believe that in Jesus, you have shown me your love, generosity, kindness, and power. I need forgiveness, but you will give that to me. Then you can start this kind of walk with God and immediately today be made alive spiritually, have access to God's throne of grace, receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit poured into your heart, which is his love, and begin to walk with him every day and experience his power in miraculous ways through gifts you've never experienced and in the mundane things of life. And God wants to give it to you right this moment. Merry Christmas. And he's the same gift for the rest of us who are gonna do this again tomorrow and again tomorrow and again the next day and the next day and the next day because it's a walk he wants to journey with us, amen? So let me, let me pray for us as we close. <clears throat> God, I just pray for any person in my hearing, present, online, listening at any point in time who is experiencing, as we've looked to your word, the miraculous call of the Holy Spirit. God, you know us by name. You made us for yourself. You're always seeking after us to save us. Lord, I pray that as lost sons and daughters are feeling and experiencing your welcome to come home, your calling to come home, God, I pray that they would respond in faith, that they would turn toward you with repentance and trust that you would forgive them and that they would receive you. And God, we thank you that you are always doing this miracle all the time. And I pray right now they would have faith to receive it. It's a simple prayer. It just goes like this. God, I believe you. You are God. You are good. I need to be forgiven. And so I'm gonna trust you and follow you. Be the Lord of my life. Save me from my sins. And just like that, 
you are now God's. If you can pray that prayer with sincerity of heart. And for the rest of us, God, we wanna be filled. Lord, we wanna be filled fresh every day with everything that you wanna give us. And we wanna be your representatives everywhere we go. And so we are coming to you as children who know you, but we are asking for more and we are ready to receive it. Abolish all fear, all hangups, God. Let us not despise any good thing, but instead stand ready to receive it. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' mighty name. Let me close with Jude 24 and 25. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. All God's people said,